everybody, this is Reverend Peter Watts from the RCA, the coordinator of the African American Black Council, and this is the Black Church Still Speaks. I have with me Dr. Micah McCreary, who is the president of New Brunswick Theological Seminary, and he's a good friend uh, and colleague and brother, and most importantly, he is my fraternity brother. That's right. By Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So those of you that are listening, uh, you have two great scholars, uh, the first of the first here. That's right. Oh, six. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, but uh, Dr. McCreary, again, thank you so much for being a guest on uh, our podcast uh, today uh, called The Black Church Still Speaks. And uh, what I essentially want to talk to you about uh, this morning or today is uh, The Black Church Still Speaks on Education. And mm. so... Uh, that's our topic. That's a general topic okay. Uh, okay. Um, uh, today for our podcast is is around the realm of uh, theological uh, education. And so, yes. um, so I ask the three basic questions to all of my guests. And so I'll okay. start with uh, this question. Uh, well, before we get into the question, let, let just start by uh, telling uh, the people that are listening um, who may not uh, know who you are, and this may be their first time meeting you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. Wow. Um, I'm just me, me, myself, and I. Uh, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. I am basically fourth-generation pastor. I know um, that much. At least my father was a pastor. His father was a pastor. And my great-grandfather was also considered a pastor in in the community down in Alabama. Um, We... My father's family came out of Arkansas, went, fled, um, wound up in Nova Scotia, Canada, came back down to Detroit. And my mom's family uh, came out of Birmingham, Alabama and out of Union Springs, Alabama, and came to Detroit that way. Um, wonderful life. I'm the oldest of seven children to my mom and dad. And um, early life was a working class, although my grandmother, my father's mom, was the first registered nurse in Detroit of color in Detroit, Michigan. And so they lived a middle-class life, but my father went to the military, um, the Korean war and wound up coming back and more working class, but a great man. My life changed though, after the riots in Detroit, when my dad, um, who was my hero, I was saved under his preaching, um, you know, really had this vision that Christ came and touched me after one time he had preached, which has been the change in my life. But after the riots, um, I didn't understand post-traumatic stress disorder at that time, but he experienced it and really went from being the great man that he was to a broken man. Left the seven of us with my mom, who had not worked outside the home, even though she had been the valedictorian of her high school. Uh, And mom really assigned me the role of parental child, um, which was powerful in that I had to help her out. One of my favorite stories was my mother came home one day from work and uh, she was gonna make a peach cobbler. And when she went to go make the cobbler, the peaches had been eaten. And of course, as the older brother, I knew who had eaten them, but I wasn't gonna (laughs) snitch. And so she finally got frustrated, said, line up in birth order. And I got swatted and no one said a word. My second brother, who was a little more radical, although I could beat him, but he just didn't play. He stepped up and everybody started yelling out who had eaten the peaches. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, something has to happen with this. And, you know, 
it's interesting that life and that's a that's a snapshot but the fact that i am now a licensed clinical psychologist which is really my ministry but i also spent 30 years in pastoring and whether it was working as a pastor of a church or a youth minister within a church or i became really the pastor to pastors a therapist to pastors and um, a professor of psychology for like 24 years where i was really dealing with uh, multiculturalism the black church I did my dissertation on African-American adolescents um, and really looked at how does spirituality impact their stress and the way they handle stress. So, you know, a lot of that was built into there. And then my practice, I did, I, I basically with people from the church, I mean, 90 to 8 to 100 percent of my clientele were members of the church, um, you know, in, in the work that I did. And so that's been there. Um, and so and licensing clinic. I worked in the methadone clinic for a while and, and really almost was going to own one. And then one day I'm, I was started doing missions because in 2010, Lot Carey's director, David Goatley, called me and said, look, I need you to go to Haiti. I'm like, what? The earthquake just happened like last week. Mm. He says, yes, I've got a group of folk who survived it who are going to be in a mountain and I want you to go there and just do some trauma work with them. And so I did that and it, it was life changing. Um, I never wanted to see a mission again. I never wanted to be around a trauma person again. Yeah. It was heart wrenching, but the Lord just worked a work um, that week I was there with them and came back, wound up and eventually taking people back to Haiti every year to do mission work, to build houses. Um, I took a group of students there for three weeks where we actually you know, worked in the school system, counseled kids, talked, um, and just, and I mean, my ratings were like five out of fives for the effectiveness mm -hmm. of that course. Um, did a lot of work, even as pastoring, wrote grants that allowed me to do after school programs in the church um, that connected psychology and youth mentoring, et cetera, mm -hmm. with that. Um, blessed to mentor a couple of young people who are now um, major staff members or pastors of churches that, you know, I was able to be like a pastor on the campus. Mm -hmm. So all that together, um, another mission trip, I was sent down to New Orleans by pastors, had written a grant after they had um, rebuilt their churches, rebuilt their communities, but they hadn't learned in, in after Katrina, hadn't learned to take care of themselves. And so I went down and spent that time and while down there, um, because I walk every day, about three miles every day, uh, one of the guys that began to walk with me was on the board of trustees here at New Brunswick Theological Seminary. And he's like, you know, our president just announced he's leaving. I'm like, congratulations, you know, what, what does that mean to me? Because <laughs> I was set where I was, you know? Right. And God just did one of those God things and I wound up here. Um, so I'm in my fifth year now as president of the oldest Protestant seminary in the country. Um, so his heart is, you know, like our endowment is, is so engaged with the people of color, people of mm -hmm. African descent as the producers of the wealth of the folk who gave to the seminary. Mm -hmm. And then I've got a, you know, a faculty that is 50, 50, um, in, in diversity, I mean, very diverse faculty, very diverse staff, but a student body that is 70% students of color. And so it's been amazing to be here and you wonder like, why was God doing what God did? Yeah. Um, but it's such a, such a good fit um, yeah. for, for all of my sales. So that's, that's yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that mm -hmm. uh, snapshot, um, you know, and knowing you a little bit. Um, I know that there's more uh, that you could have said, 
Uh, but thank you again for the snapshot, just to give the people a peek into uh, your past and history and, and, and where you situate yourself in doing this work. Uh, and so uh, the first question that, uh, that I ask uh, all of my guests is, um, is when you think about uh, the Black church uh, in particular, and when you think about the Black church and its future, what do you see? You know, we mm-hmm. are just coming, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic. I shouldn't say coming yeah. out. We're, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. Yes. Um, there, we, we just came out of a tumultuous election season. We, you know, see what's going on with voting rights. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's almost like the past trying to repeat itself. And, uh, but then you think about the black church and its effectiveness yes. and, and, and where it situates itself in, in, in dealing even with the, mm-hmm. the, the impact of COVID that's, that it's had on the black church and black mm-hmm. community. Uh, when you think about the black church now, uh, in its future, what do you see? I automatically go back to in, even the Civil War and that that era of abolitionism um, establishing the church there, and how as the church was established, universities were established. Um, as the church was really being morphed and metamorphosizing itself into existence they created institutions of learning of higher education that in the basement of churches is where people were educated people were transformed that it's been a place you know when when you look at um the movements that have happened that have brought us here whether it's the civil rights movement the student vice SNCC movement you know the sitting on the counters so much of that has been connected to the church and what gets me is that now so many of our young profound prophets are spiritual, but they want nothing to do with the church. Mm-hmm. And it's like that, that disconnect has now happened to where, you know, the church has moved from a place that would give power, would, would allow people to manifest power where people began to want power themselves. And they move away from the gospel, away from what Christ really was, what Christ really meant to the impoverished, to set the captives free. I mean, Luke four, you know, that spirit is on me to do these things. And to me, the incarnation of, of, of spirit and human creates the Christ. We should be doing that. Mm-hmm. But here it is. Now we've got folk who are doing social justice ministry without really understanding its origins, its essence, because they've disconnected from the church because the church is basically too often filled with pimps and, and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go too far with that. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, yeah. Folk who are, I, I love what minister Malcolm said, you know, that we built these monuments to our egos, you know, rather than dealing with the needs of the people that have asked us to build a monument, mm-hmm. you know, and so often in my ministry in particular, I've made sacrifices not to take advantage of the the constituency, but to figure out another way to bring income into my being, because I, I don't want to live poor, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to live off of a poor person, mm-hmm. you know, and so the church has not done that. We've not really figured out a way to be social Socially relevant, spiritually relevant, you know, I'm not just doing social work, but doing social gospel, doing social, you know, justice work. We've not figured that out yet. And, and we got if we're going to be relevant nowadays, we got to figure it out, um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's some hard stuff, but we're not grappling with it. And if we continue to bury our heads in the sand, we'll become a was church, you know, mm. and, and that's why the mainline churches are dying. 
is not, is one power for me is is one part is not having spirit, not having power, but no. the other is not being connected to the needs of the folk that we should be blessing, that we should be yeah. ministering yeah. to. You know, it's uh, interesting in what you're saying. You were um, talking about the uh, this generation that uh, is more spiritual, but not, uh, say, religious in terms of being connected to Christian, Protestant uh, churches and denominations. Um, and then you talked about uh, the decline. And so uh, I don't know if you know about Barna's a new study on the black church um, that's coming out, um, but I was uh, on a call with him and, um, and I got the report. Um, and essentially the report uh, is saying about the black church is that the black church is still seen as this spiritual center, still seen as a place uh, where uh, prophetic uh, activism uh, happens, yet it is not uh, immune to the decline of Christianity in this country. And so, so, so what, what do you think, what do you think that is? Um, it's people still see the church in some respects, people still see the church as a, as a place of spiritual empowerment and where you can find a relationship with God and, and all of that. Yet they still aren't coming in. And, and as a result, the church is still in decline. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's 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 one being really afraid to grapple theologically with what these things mean. Um, you know, we we have the model here at New Brunswick: think critically, act justly, lead faithfully. And to me, that that you know, I spent a year just kind of summing up what what, what should we be doing, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. I think so much in the church is, you know, we we just this is my father's church. This is my grandmother's church. And we keep operating there. And we don't think critically about some of the things that we do. For example, you know, I, I love being a pastor, but I really prefer the academy mm-hmm. and the blessing happened. Um, I had just done my youngest, my second sister's older sisters. Uh, she was, she's younger than me, but she's the oldest sister done her eulogy in 2000. Mm. And on the way back from doing her eulogy, my wife and I both heard the spirit of God say to us, it's time for you all to do ministry together. You know, mm-hmm. we have been doing couples work, you know, yeah. we thought that's what the Lord was saying, you know, I get back and a, a week later, a little church calls me and says, Hey, would you come preach? I preach. They're like, look, we've been two years without a pastor. Would you consider it? I'm like, you know, I just heard the Lord say, a wife and I ought to be working together, yeah. you know, and um, we are night and day different. I mean, you uh-huh. know, I mean, you know, she, she, she's this introverted thinking, you know, compassionate pastor person. I'm this outward prophetic in your face. Talk about uh-huh. your mama. If you make me too mad, you know, uh-huh. and so, you know, and they're like, huh, we hadn't thought about that. And so, you know, we developed, well, I, I came up just in my spirit, the Priscilla Aquila model that, you know, Priscilla was the five times the two were mentioned twice. Aquila, the husband was mentioned first, but three times she was mentioned first. If yeah. she's mentioned first that many times, something's going on contextually as far as her power and her authority. You know, they were like, huh. So they had to come preach. She preaches moving forward. That church went from 30 people um, that were broke. By the time we left after 17 years as senior pastors there jointly, we not me as senior, but us as senior, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. you know, I would worship lead when she preached, she would worship lead when I preached. We left there, man, with um, one property that they were on when we came. We built three 
buildings there. We're leasing it, 11 acres, leasing it to a, another church for $4,000. Mm. We had purchased the property that we were on. Then we moved the church to a property with six um, buildings, 19 acres and debt free. And it was a $3.5 million mm-hmm. property. We had, you know, at least seven to 800 people that we, we, we made a commitment to stay that size. Yeah. We had also planted two younger churches that were growing bigger than we were. And people just growing, things just happening, you know, and you look at the fact, I think it was because we were obedient to God, but we brought together the model of a male and female principal, yeah. you know, to yeah. do this work and just really work that way. I mean, and, and young people were drawn to that, you know, the community families were drawn to that. We hadn't thought of it that way, but mm-hmm. so often we don't listen and we just stick with this way of doing it and, and aren't innovative, aren't creative, aren't critical in our ways of evaluating and analyzing it. Mm-hmm. And then to, to do justice, I can keep going with the title, but that's that's one of the pieces that comes to my yeah. mind. Yeah. The church has not done well. Yeah. So so when we think about uh when we think about the future of the black church and we think about just innovation and we think about yeah. the declining numbers and thinking about things theologically uh going forward, how do you encourage um, uh, those that are listening that are part of uh, uh, churches and denominations that are his, that historically have done great work, but yeah. currently are irrelevant to this generation? Mm-hmm. Uh, they have something that they can look back on and say, wow, our church did this mm-hmm. in the past, Yeah, but yeah. our church is dying because it doesn't have any young people in it are yeah. because uh, we are stuck in holding on to the past. So how can we, how, how do you help uh, people get out of that rut, that status quo of, um, yeah. of not, not forgetting the past, yeah. uh, but uh, uh, celebrating it, but not getting stuck in it so that you can look forward to the new yeah. thing that God may be doing. Yeah. Great question. I love that question. One of the thoughts to me was the connectivity. Um, connections so much happens when we connect with folk like you know i can talk with you about these things i can you know i've got a a posse a crew of folk that i can depend upon to give me real serious feedback and and criticism to to really analyze where i'm going you know and and problem solve to look at okay these goals are here you know i think that's a major piece of it i think you know really having a a a reading thing going on where you are people don't like to read Mm -hmm. but even if you're just you know listening to books on tape about some certain things you want to deal with but but you know if if a a body of water doesn't have an inlet or outlet it's going to become stale it's going to dry up I think too often we've been that where we're a whale that has no inlet. And so there's no fresh water coming in and then we don't have any outlet to let some of the the dirty, nasty water go away, you know, Mm -hmm. and that would be the piece there. I think some people are stuck there where they're just this, this stoic static frame of water and and being, and no one wants to be there. If if I come in a place and it smells like death, smells like gangrene, you know, it needs to be chopped off. It doesn't need to be celebrated. Yeah. And we're spending a lot of time celebrating the gangrene Mm. rather than having the operations to remove it. Celebrating the gangrene. That sounds like a, a a chapter in the book or something. I, I, I'm, I'm about to write it <laughs> down. Write that, that might be a blog. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Yes, yes. You know, as we're talking about um, education in particular and looking at theological education. Yeah. 
what is the importance in, in your view, what is the importance of theological education in the black church in its need uh, to be centered in mainline seminaries? Yeah. Theological yeah. education in the black church and in the black church and how that theolo- theology needs to be centered in mainline seminaries and not as a, as a, uh, elective class that people yeah. take. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I went to Virginia Union University School of Theology and liberation theology was there. I didn't realize it then, but my mentor and, and my senior professor in theology was John W. Kinney. Kinney, um, you know, could spout theology as it was, but connected to liberation. I didn't realize then that he was a student of James Cone. You know, mm. and so in some sense, I'm a grand student of James Cone and and really it was there all the time. And he tells the story of how, you know, he went he stayed connected to the church as pastor because we worked together about 11 years. My wife and I with him before we started pastoring ourselves. And he tells a story of how he was his first time back from, you know, um, Union Theological Seminary and he's preaching and he's just laying it out there. And um, one of the mothers of the church walked up to him after it was over and said, you know, son, I can see that you're excited and you've got a lot to offer, but you got to serve it in a cup that I know. Mm. And so often we're serving up stuff Uh in vessels that people cannot drink from. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what, what you got in there. If your vessel is gruddy and ugly and unknown and foreign, they can't drink from it. And yeah. so for me, a lot of times the, the seminary is the vessel, you know, and, and if you don't, if I want to put liberation ideology in that vessel, I've got to make sure the vessel is right. And so until seminaries are the, the uh, a, a, a wanted and a desired vessel, it really doesn't matter how much theology they put there. People are still going to find another place to go. Yeah. 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 You know, it makes me think about, um, God, Octavius, Octavius, Butler, Butler, uh, he has a a book. It was a long time ago. I got, I had gotten a book probably about three years ago called a plain theology for a plain people. Mm. Uh, and he Bird. essentially takes uh, it's a black, a black man who takes uh, you know high lofty theological idea and he mm-hmm. breaks it down because it was written during times of slavery. He bre- mm-hmm. he breaks it down for those to uh, you know who yeah. were enslaved to understand mm-hmm. you know the- those theological concepts. Mm-hmm. It's called a plain theology for a plain people. It was a really really good book. Yeah. Um, Another one is the Imposing Preacher by Adam Bond, and he looks at um, the life of. Samuel DeWitt Proctor. And one of the things that that Adam says in that book is that Proctor was a social conservative in some sense and and, Mm -hmm. and a social Christian, you know, but it it blows me away when I realized, you know, he was in the middle of the student sit-ins in Greensboro, North Carolina when he became president of AT&T. You know, mm. and he didn't ever visibly support them, yeah, but yeah. he made sure that money was developed to get them out of jail. That lawyers were on tap to get them out yeah. of jail. Yeah. You know, and then he becomes a you know a, a a professor at Rutgers University after he talked about Martin Luther King a year after his assassination, and then becomes the pastor of Abyssinia in New York. 
you know, and so never a person that was out there, you know, but when you read his writings and look at what his sermons and look at what he was doing, the main line denominations of the the white establishment were as comfortable listening to him Mm -hmm. as he was relevant to the church he was preaching to. Yeah. You know, and some of that's there too. Yeah. Kind of like Tom Skinner who can just sit there and go off and be like, he right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We think about, uh, again, uh, education and theological uh, education importance. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, liberation theology. Uh, what uh, when, when you talk about liberation theology uh, and its role in the preaching and teaching in black theology in the black in the local church, how important is 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 that theology to the to the um, to the life of the black church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Again, um, I'm loving it. I it made me think of the, a book I've been reading called Justice um, by a gentleman, a professor at Harvard. And one of the things that, as I look at social justice and what the church has done, we've not really used the, the philosophy, the science per se, of what justice really means. Mm. And so for me, you know, it really is to take the gospel of Jesus, the work of Christ, who to me was just a justice preacher. I mean, you look at, um, I love the example where, you know, with the um, good Samaritan that Jesus talked about, Mm -hmm. you had, you know, this guy who was helping, but that's more social work. Where then when you take Exodus and what happened there, where you get you set people free, that's mm-hmm. justice work, mm-hmm. you know. And, and how do you take those two together um, in, in a way that does that? How do you actually look at what does it mean to do justice? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Micah six and eight. You know, what does Lord require thee? But you love justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Mm-hmm. How does the church do that? I, I don't think we really spend a lot of time because the work of the church is so criticized is so under a microscope Mm -hmm. and you know if you if you really are looking at getting dollars and building programs based upon pleasing participants and pleasing parishioners you know that's a that's a whole place to be you know but it's really how do you actually pragmatically do what you got to do to 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 survive but at the same time you know do what's necessary to be radical case in point for me you know, I loved working at the university and teaching because, you know, that was a place where I could teach and grow young people. Yeah. But when I pastored and did that, I became much more prophetic, both at the church and at the university, because I could tell you the one of them where to go, you know, because yeah. I had an income coming from both. Oh, oh, right. You know, and that, you know, and it's like I didn't want to be poor. I wanted to take care of my wife and daughter. Yeah. I wanted to yeah. have money and resources, but at the same time, you know, and so how do you create a way to actually have that prophetic voice? You know, mm-hmm. I would not have come to this job if I didn't have two retirements, yeah. you know, because yeah. it, it yeah. didn't pay enough, you know, uh-huh. it didn't, didn't pay enough. Uh-huh. But the thing was that okay. I'm I'm near the end of my academic career, so I can take this risk. But now I'm actually working hard to endow the presidency of this institution so they can get someone 20 years younger than me to come mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and really make a long term, you know, yeah. way of bidding it. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot of stuff there. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, what you what you uh, are talking about, I call a double day. 
I said, yeah, uh, yeah. Black, black folks do a double day. We, we do the job we get hired to do, and then the second job is not make uh, white wealthy donors angry. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and so there has to be a way when we talk about uh, uh, being set free and, and liberation yeah. where you can speak prophetically. Um, yeah. And speak truth to power without yeah. uh, worrying about uh, somebody taking your paycheck. Yeah, yeah, and, right? and you know, yeah, and I, I'm I'm really excited. I don't, you know, I'm praying to God it'll happen. Mm-hmm. But I just finished writing a grant to um, basically get four years of funding to get the Truth Center established at New Brunswick, mm-hmm. and Truth stands for theology, restoration, unity, and equity. Mm-hmm. And it would be a center that would be focused on those four things. And yes. so we would have true fellows every year where they would come through and they would go through our race, power, and privilege training. They would go through the race, power, and privilege course. Mm-hmm. They would take a Sankofa trip one year. Um, I'm planning it back to Alabama to look at civil rights, mm-hmm. but another year to go to look at the mission work we've done in India because the scutters were, you know, people came out of New Brunswick mm. um, to do, spend a year in Bahrain, you know, and, and look at the ministry going on there to go over to South Africa, you know, and, and those kind yeah. of trips. Yep. And then, then there's a, um, a social justice park that is just focused on the young people. The grown folk will be in on that, but it's focused on really teaching young people how to be prophetic social justice ministers, you know? Mm-hmm. And so after that year of training, then they come back in the next year and they kind of help teach what goes on. Nice. And so, you know, four years, hopefully it can stand on its own is what my grant was saying, yeah, you know, yeah. but that's a way of taking what this institution has done. Cause we've been an anti-racism university seminary for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's risky. I mean, that's risky. Right. It really, you know, it really, right. I, yeah, it really, I think it cost uh, um, New Brunswick its status um, with the denomination because they're like, what are they doing? They, yeah. you know, but, but now to take that and to really, I, I've had so many consultations with members of the RCA um, who have churches that are well endowed, but they're struggling with their community and just looking at how do you actually turn this around? Well, that kind of consultation will come out of the clinic, out of the center rather. Um, you know, and so it's a fun thought for me. Yeah. Um, you know, if the Lord funds it, we'll see what happens with it, you know. That's good. And that leads me to to my next question. Yes. You're talking about your center um and your course uh, or, or line of thinking around race power and privilege, you know, the big uh, uh, boogeyman in the room around the country now is critical race theory. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so critical race theory is the boogeyman. Um, uh, or uh, I would say, are there valid fears uh, that are a threat to the gospel? Uh, when we think about critical yeah. race theory, we know that uh, that the, the theory, you know, started with Derrick Bell in law in law schools and um, but, you know, there's this uh, conflation of that and it being taught in, you know, K through 12 schools. And so anytime you talk about race, uh, they all of, all of a sudden say, oh, you're doing critical race. They're like, no, that's not critical race. We're just like really telling the truth about history right now. Right. And so uh, so when we think about, um, you know, seminary education um, and we think about talking about race, uh, power and privilege, how do you, um, you know, as a seminary um, uh yeah, talk about that um, uh, and incorporating that into theological education. Yeah, a couple couple of powerful pieces with that. One, I, I look at you know Hannah Nicole Jones, Nicole Hannah Jones, and Tadahisi Coates. Um, it's amazing to me that you know 
North Carolina um, Chapel Hill offers her a position on faculty tenured um, to run that program there. And this reaction, this, this reactionary piece to her 1619 project results in the board saying, look, you know, you can hire her, but you, you can't give her tenure, um, you know, and, and, and you look at all of this and you wonder, what is this all about? And then the outcome of it is that she says, no, thank you to their whole offer and goes to Howard because somebody has now funded a, a center for, um, I guess, really journalism that is, mm-hmm. is really entrenched in this race issue. And so now you've got two of the greatest local young writers um, who are just phenomenal running a center, right. you know, and sometimes, you know, I look at it and go like, you know, was God in that? And, you know, and, and it's amazing. And so a, a lot of the opposition and, and oppression and things that happened to me, I've got to go gospel on them. I go like, you know, mm-hmm. without any crucifixion, there's not going to be a resurrection. Right. And so all this, call me what you want. I'm going to look at it as this is something that's coming to, to make me better at what I'm being, you know, and I love the part after the crucifixion, there's the burial. And after the burial, there's the descending, you know, and mm-hmm. in the descending, you know, the captivities are led captive, mm-hmm. are led free and gifts are given to the church. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't have the gifts I had if I didn't go through the struggles I've gone through. And then I get the resurrection. Then after resurrection comes my ascension. And so I'm cool with it. I'm like, bring what you got. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to fight you. I'm going to engage you in conversation. Now, if you don't want to talk to me, that's not my loss. You know, that's your loss. You know, that's our loss. But it's not me. I'm not going to take it personal. And I love to talk all the time, you know, this this the stuff that goes on. We got to live in balance. And so I don't get too excited about the good things that happen. And I don't get too upset and depressed by the bad things that happen. I look at both of those as instruments of a most high God to teach me how to hurdle. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, because when you uh, the best hurdlers are able to hurdle off of either foot, you yeah. know, yeah. and that's what I'm looking at. It's like, OK, OK, this time I got to hurdle off my left foot. This time I got to hurdle off my right foot, you know, and that's just the way it is to keep that speed and momentum going is where that is for me. And so I'm, I'm like, bring your critical race theory. I would love to have a real discussion about what it really uh-huh. is. But if we right. can't. I'm going to listen to you and you listen to me and we have a conversation. Maybe we can become friends. And that may be the 16th conversation in our three year relationship. I'm okay with that, you know, but I'm not going to stop doing and being what I'm doing and being because you don't agree with me. You know, that, that, that you ain't the first person that's disagreed, you know, nor will you be the last. And if you're often doing what you want to do, you do wind up being crucified, but it's the fear of death that gets in the way of our being able to be prophetic. Mm. We're scared to die, you know. Not to die. Like, you know, you got to go sometime. Why not now? Right. You know? And why not for something noble? <laughs> right. And why not just put a six hundred thousand dollar insurance policy on you so if you die, your family yeah, does well. Care yeah, right. you know, you know, right. you know, right. you know that's what <laughs> I'm talking about giving gifts back, right? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but we 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 scared, man. We yeah. scared. I look at, you know, and this may this may not be true because I never got a chance to talk to him. But I was always enamored with the fact that Jesse Jackson was there on the balcony when King was shot, mm. and how much did that 
changed the way he did ministry. He was, he was, you know, with the, with the sit-in movement as the quarterback down in AT&T, there was a fire in Reverend Jackson. You know, mm-hmm. he was always eloquent, you know, yeah. the eloquence stayed there, but I wonder sometimes did the fire leave because you saw this death and it just, it blew him away. And that, yeah. that trauma, trauma. You know, the, yeah. the trauma's there. It's yeah. there. And yeah. trauma affects how you do things. And more of us cannot do stuff because there is, you know, this trauma and whether you call it this, this, um, I'm, I'm black trauma. You know, I, I've been, I've been talked about buked and scorned trauma. You yeah. know, I, I, I want my pew and I don't want you bother me with my pew trauma, yeah. whatever it is that's got you there, you stuck there, you know? And, Sometimes we just got to go back to the graveyard and visit with the grandparents, you know, talk mm. to the ancestors and realize that, you know, we've been fighting this fight for a long time. This is not new. Yeah. A New Brunswick uh, theological seminary gets a lot of students from different um, backgrounds and uh, faith traditions um, uh, and denominations. Yes. Um I want to talk about uh, reform uh, denomination or reform theology in particular uh, in black people. You know, which, uh, which, which I would say for New Brunswick, when I got here, there were only seven reform students. We're now well at 30, 27. And so uh, we've tripled what we were since I've yeah, been here. But I just want to yeah. put that out there. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, the, second, because, the second largest denomination in the, in the house now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's the yeah. first? Uh, is it AME? Ba- Baptist, Baptist. National Baptist. Okay. Yeah. National Baptist. Yeah. Okay. The, um, and, and I, I asked this question, you know, because you know, I came out of the Black Baptist Church, uh, you know, looking at your history coming out of the Black Baptist and most of the people that uh, I have met within the R, uh, RCA in particular uh, came out of Black Baptist tradition. There, you know, there are uh, some who grew up in, you know, Reformed churches as children and, you know, are still part of the Reformed uh, church uh, in America. But um, yeah, in, in, be, in, in coming into the RCA and uh, being a church planter uh, myself and now pastoring for the past 13 years, uh, the same church, um, uh, and then looking at uh, growing even the African-American uh, mm-hmm. pre- uh, presence within the RCA and, mm-hmm. and churches that are led by people of African descent. One of the things that the contentions that I always have to deal with is folks who grew up in Baptist tradition or Methodist tradition and, and now are disconnected, as we've been saying, disconnected yeah. from even those denominations and are just out there independently and could see the RCA you know, as a, a landing place. Uh, in your view and in, 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 in your experience um, uh, being a part of the RCA and the and the classes that you're a part of and, and now being president of uh, New Brunswick and like you say, you have now doubled even the enrollment of those that are reformed. What does it mean uh, to be black and reformed Yeah, in your view? Yeah, well, I'll go back to something that Al Jensen, um, God rest his soul, said to me when I first got here. Um, we were just having a conversation and he said, it may have been public, it may have been to me, I don't remember the context, but he said, you know, he really felt that God was angry at the reformers, was not pleased with the reformers, that splitting up God's church was never God's plan. Mm. That's human's plan. And I really, for me, you know, people I love theology in general. I love the word in general. I love the spirit in general. And the way we take pieces of it and make it the most important piece to me is problematic. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with that. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. The way we, you know, we 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 then stop looking at history and history, you know, to me, it, it, it is is problematic. The way we yeah. we don't consider things. So, you know, when when I look at that, and that's not getting away from that. I think Reformed theology is is sweet. I think a lot of times when you look at what is taught in the Black Baptist Church, it's, it has no problem with Reformed theology. It's it's not anything new, nothing we've been teaching. It doesn't have this liberation component in it, except for, you know, how much of that in Reformed theology and Catholic theology is not even the gospel. It's because the hierarchies were established in order to maintain the status quo, mm-hmm. you know, and reformed theology where liberation comes in and critiques it is that status quo does need to be maintained. Right. Let's break down status quo for the well-being of the whole. Well, the well-being of the whole is there. I mean, to have the elder, to have, you know, the, the deacon, to have the minister of word and sacrament, and then to have the teacher, those four offices of the other reformed church in America, we've been doing it in the Baptist church all along. We right. keep jumping up with bishops every now and again, you know I mean? Yeah. You know? So that's not a new thing. When you really get into, you know, Baptist church so often is, is close to Pentecostal uh, in a lot of ways. Well, you know, and, and it is extremely conservative. A lot of people uh, who are African-American are spiritually conservative and church conservative. They're mm-hmm. socially radical. Right. And so you got, you know, that puts there. So I don't, I don't see the problem there. Actually, when I watch students who are, um, they have not been theologically trained. So that's a part of it. When they take a reform theology course, it resonates with them. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. um, when I studied it coming in, you know, to really get prepared, it resonates. I mean, reading the Heidelberg catechism has been in the Bellhart confession. Yeah. You know, they resonate with what a lot of our core beliefs anyway. And yeah, so it's like, okay, you know, what's, yeah. what's most important, you know, Christ, Christ alone, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the solos, you know, the you tulip, talk, you know, you the, talk, talk to a mother of the church. She going to tell you, you say, I know what's that big word. You talking about sovereignty and yeah, yeah. yeah we know God's in charge. You ain't we know in God's in charge, you know, <laughs> eschatology. I know, you know, they, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like put in the right cup. They'll be fine with it. Right, you know? right, yeah, right. yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's what I found. Uh, to be uh, so interesting uh, in coming into the RCA and, and learning more about Reformed theology over the years is that it was, I didn't hear anything different than I heard from my pastor in the Black Baptist Church in Compton that I uh, that I came into ministry in. Yeah. There was nothing different. He always said, uh, you know, God was in charge. He always said, God bless me, not because of, but in spite of, you know, right. I mean, just all of that. Yeah. And, and yeah. so it, it wasn't anything different. Um, the only thing that I really saw uh, as different uh, was uh, the escapist kind of, yeah. um, you know, uh, the Lord's going to you know, rapture me or take me from here versus the kingdom of God coming to earth kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but socially, right. Baptist church believes the kingdom of God can come to earth through justice right. and righteousness right. and liberation. So right. there's still an intersect that, that happens there. So, right. And to only want to leave because you just can't take it down here anymore. I mean, being lynched and being yeah. crucified, right. you know, sometimes leaving is a, is a much better option. Much better option. You know? And it's amazing it, within the, RCA, a number of the movements that have happened have been fortunately from this New Brunswick graduates, you know, who are pastors of New York reformed churches. They've been the ones who have really pushed, you know, for the both from the um, black manifesto to, Mm -hmm. you know, the different African-American black 
ministries council yeah. and what goes on. I mean, that's been core to us. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, it's come up and they had white professors teaching reform theology that they took and said, oh, I can, this, this speaks to me yeah. Yeah. and, and expab- established wonderful churches, you know, in the New York and New Jersey area yeah. from that. Yeah. Well, here's my, uh, my last question for you. In okay. um, going, talking again about seminary education. Yes. Um, you know, uh, in the pandemic, everybody's had to uh, make adjustments. Mm-hmm. So in seminary, education has had to pivot. Um, and how, how does it make, how does the seminary now make a closer connection to the local church as a place mm-hmm. For theological mm-hmm. studies. So, uh, and, and what I mean by that, how 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 can seminaries, New Brunswick in particular, but seminaries in general, how can they empower uh, the local church so that the local church become these local hubs of of theological education for yeah. uh, its people uh, to be put in containers that they can grasp and understand yeah. to then want to even uh, pursue uh, higher education, you know, in, yeah. in theology as well. This may be blasphemous to many people, but this is just something that I feel. Since being here these four years now, moving to the fifth year, and reading about the General Senate Professorate, going back to Calvin and reading what Calvin said, that this was an important office for the teaching of the church. And then there was a 2005 um, task force put together about the General Senate Professor. And they came out that the General Senate Professor was the professorate of the seminary and the professor to the church. Mm. And that we needed to, to either do both or have them as one. And one of the things that I'm arguing is that yes, some of my faculty members are Presbyterian and CRC and Baptist, you know, but they are the professors to the church. Mm-hmm. They are the general synod professors. Um, and and I, I would love to think of the seminary as a general synod professor to the people who come here to study, but also to the church. Mm-hmm. And so I've been teaching that to my faculty and presenting that to my faculty and asking them to engage the church in these kind of conversations. And so, you know, I've always been about consulting. And so we're, we're moving into that whole model. Mm-hmm. Part of the Truth Center will be a consulting program where we actually are engaged with churches. I've got a young professor now who is engaged with the church around how to do reparations. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we hate that word, but they're like, we got this endowment yep. that was built on the basis of, of people of color. Yep. What can we do with it? And I've been pushing that, you know, we want a program for middle schoolers to, to be able to come and to think, why mm-hmm. not endow or high schoolers to come during a summer program? Mm-hmm. Why not use that funds to, to create that kind of program right. so they can come here and, and then they'll be committed to you and may wind up being back in your church because you can have right. these conversations. We can hold the teaching there. I mean, there's so many ways, creative ways to do it. I've got a grant funded by Lilly called the Well Program. Mm-hmm. And in that program, um, RCA pastors and you know our and church planters are here for a year, just getting teaching on how to be well, how the flow. What I was talking about with the still water and all. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so many ways to do it to where we can connect with the community, but you've got to do it purposely. Yeah. yeah, it has to be a part of your goal, you know. And that's what's not happened before yeah. with seminaries. We've been these these 
ivory tower places where theological thought happens and we look down at the rest of the world from our vantage right. point and know you need to come down out that, that tower and get in yeah. with the people yeah. in order to really yeah. produce this yeah I'm, I'm really a champion you know even though i'm in my last year of my doctoral studies i'm really a champion for church-based seminary where yeah. uh, the seminary can be housed in the local church, the church. Uh, because there are yeah. people from our communities who, uh, one, uh, don't want to learn outside of their context. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not helpful. Two, yeah. you know, it costs too much. Uh, three, sometimes the admissions requirements are too high and, you know, that kind of thing. And so if we're able to create some kind of church-based seminary, yeah. some kind of yeah. satellite uh, extension of the main yeah. seminary, uh, yeah. it would, one, uh, uh, give new life and new blood to the larger yeah. seminary, but it also it's this two way yeah. street that that could happen, and and now your reach uh, is yeah. even further, especially with the technology that's in place now to be yeah. able to yeah. do it. We we can do that. We can yeah. Do that. I, I mean, we just created a studio called Studio Thirty Five because I address a thirty five seminary place. So Studio Thirty Five is there, and what I'm asking faculty to do is to take their class and do a number of lectures that they do during the week or the, of the semester. And put together as a package that we can then give to churches no charge and say, here's a course on this. And then the professor can be in conversation about that. You know, it could become a a credit course at the church, you know, that kind of way. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's got to happen. Um, You know, yeah. Well, we need need to uh, talk offline, you know, about that because we're developing uh, in our church, we're developing a digital campus um, where we'll be recording and, um, you know, lectures and sermons and, you know, teachings and things like that to package and um, oh. and to share. And, and so if there's some, some way we could uh, even work together on doing stuff like that. And I don't know, you are close to, or have heard of, um, of um, uh, Stony Brook uh, uh, Christian boarding school. It's on Long Island. Um, okay. It's a private uh, Christian prep school. It's where, uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Billy Graham's uh, graduated from it. So it's like a $60,000 a year boarding school. So we are, our church is partnered with them uh, because we're going to be doing micro schools, um, okay. uh, private Christian uh, prep micro schools here in LA uh, through the local church. And so, um, and so that's what we're working on now is uh, working with professors and uh, folks from around the country that work for Stony Brook. They're recording lectures and doing live instruction as well to yeah. package for our students. And so it's the same, wow. same kind of thing that we could, you know, I think we should, should talk about. Yeah. I'm, I'm there. As we're talking about church planting yeah. Um, yeah. You know, in, 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 in different models of, of church planting and, yeah. and Sign me up. Church. Yep. Sign me up. And we've actually um, created in our certificate program, which is just a, a very low cost certificate that people can get for th- two or three years, where there's one that's just based upon becoming a commissioned pastor in the RCA. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, I think you know, I need that. We need the, I, yeah, we need that okay. for sure. Yep. Yeah, we, we yeah. need to talk. We need to talk off a line. Okay. You know, okay. That, okay. That'd be the first thing we talk about. Yeah. That's that's fully online. <laughs> well, uh, thank you uh, again for uh, your time and and experience oh, and, and wisdom uh, uh, to our uh, listeners and um, yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, be able to follow up with even uh, some more in the future. Um, uh, Say I'm when. With, yeah, I'm with uh, Dr. Uh, Michael McQuarrie, president of uh, New Brunswick Theological Seminary and also uh, frat brother of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. <laughs> oh, six. <laughs> All right. Thank you. It's been a delight and a joy.
We want to thank our guests for rocking with us today. Now, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. I said our because this podcast is not a one-person show. There are some folks in the background who make this happen each month for our listeners. I want to give a shout out to our sound engineer, Garrick Steyer, logo and graphics by Warrior Design, our executive producer, Annalise Ratcliffe, and our assistant production manager, Lorraine Parker. I'm your host, Reverend Peter Watts with the AABC, and this is The Black Church Still Speaks. <laughs>